Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Today, we're talking about contract types. This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Skyway's team of contracting officers is on call for you. Check it out at skywaymember.com. All right, let's get started with contract types. Things generally get more complicated as, as you advance in the government acquisition world, as you get bigger contracts, as you do more work. The proposals get more complicated, the subcontract management all of a sudden kicks in, your teaming arrangements get more complex. It if you even gets, had any teaming yeah, arrangements or, or <laughs> dealt with anything else, right? If you were just delivering, say, gloves to a hospital, that's an easy thing. When next thing you know, you're in charge of all the supplies for a department of the hospital, maybe that's a little more complicated. You may also run into different contract types than a firm fixed price contract or, or a purchase order type of thing. Before we get into that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Christopher May. He's the vice president and chief legal officer at Delaware Resource Group, which is an aerospace defense contractor out in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. I want to say thanks to Christopher for liking our podcast and particularly for letting Amber, Amber's on our team, letting her know how he found the podcast, how he uses it, and specifically for thanking us for doing it and to not stop making it. So that kind of stop. made my day. Don't stop making it. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a great exchange with Amber. Thanks, Chris, for the support. All right, let's get into contract types here. There, there's two basic types of contracts, fixed price contracts and cost reimbursement contracts. And when I say two basic types, I mean in the government acquisition world, there are two basic types. Firm fixed price is how you buy almost everything in your personal life. If you want to buy a new printer for your office, you buy based on features and price, and you have no insight into how much profit the manufacturer is making or the retailer is making, you make your choices and you competitively buy the one that has the features that you need at the price that you want to pay. And even more sophisticated buys that you might make, like a car. Same thing. It's not that this, you don't buy those all the time, but you still have no idea what the profit that Toyota or Ford made on the car. It's firm fixed price. The other basic type is cost reimbursable. And, and this is pretty unique to the government world. The government pays you your actual costs for building and delivering whatever you built and delivered, plus an agreed to profit or fee of some type which means that both sides have to be militant about tracking those costs. <laughs> so contractors, your proposal to the government is your estimate of the cost that it will take to do the job. And you have to be able to properly track and bill those actual costs or you'll get in a lot of trouble for billing things that don't apply. The government gets complete insight into your books. That is a different level of complication than just, I'm going to deliver 23 cases of rubber gloves to the hospital or latex gloves, I guess. And even, even if you built a custom car, I go back to, I mean, I want to get away from just really, this isn't just about simple things. It's in the commercial world, in our lives, we buy even more complex things. They may be broken into pieces and we have an estimate of what those pieces are, but the, the contract is, I'm going to build you your house for this amount of money. 
You may know what the pieces cost, but there's a fixed price piece to it. Think about if you bought your car on a cost type contract. It's like having to know what the individual costs of every single element were and being able to see the, into the books of the manufacturer. That's an event. Your, <laughs> you're probably car, unqualified your, to even do. Your car would cost a lot more because the manufacturer would have to track and report all that. And you exactly. would need and a staff of people to analyze yep. all that. What a mess. There's actually another type of basic type of contract that, that we should mention, although we're not going to really get into it here. And that that's time and materials. And that's a little bit of a hybrid where time and materials for the time part, you pay a fixed price for a labor hour. So for, for each increment of time, you pay so many dollars. And then the, for materials, you might reimburse the cost to acquire those materials. And the best example I can think of for that is like painting your house. You usually pay a fixed price for, it's going to cost $400 for them to paint the house. Then they charge you for the paint and the brushes. And they give you a separate bill that they they went to the the store and, and bought that. And they show you what it is and you reimburse for them for that. But they don't make extra money there. This is not a fixed price contract. And it's not really a cost type contract either. But it's sort of a hybrid. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that here and it's important to, to point out that we're not going to talk about you know, award fee, incentive fee, all these other elements, because they all go back to these two types, fixed price, cost type. That's the, the fundamental concept. Let's jump into the FAR to make it really fundamental. This is FAR part 16, <laughs> where it talks about contract types. I'm going to read a little here. Don't fall asleep, Kevin. Although the FAR excites you, you wouldn't fall asleep. <laughs> contract I'm not sure what that says about me. FAR Part 16 says the contract types are grouped into two broad categories, fixed price contracts and cost reimbursement contracts. Everything else is sort of a variation of those things, like you just said. 16.202-1 describes firm fixed price. It says a firm fixed price contract provides for a price that is not subject to any adjustment on the basis of the contractor's cost experience in performing the contract. <laughs> Sorry, I got it. says cost experience. Cost experience. <laughs> like... You lost money. That's a cost experience. Mm -hmm. So, sorry. This, the way that's worded is so funny to me. It goes on to say, the contract type places a, upon the contractor maximum risk and full responsibility for all the costs and resulting profit or loss, provides maximum incentive for the contractor to control costs and perform effectively, and imposes a minimum, a minimum administrative burden upon the contracting parties. And that's an important part right there. Yeah, we'll come back to that. 16.301-1 is cost reimbursable. It says cost reimbursable types of contracts provide for payment of allowable incurred costs to the extent prescribed in the contract. These contracts establish an estimate of the total cost for the purposes of obligating funds and establishing a ceiling that the contractor may not exceed, except at their own risk, without the approval of the contracting officer. So the contract is an estimate of the cost. Then you have to calculate all that stuff and come to some agreement at the end of what all those costs really were. And the important words are the uh, more important words in there, payment of allowable incurred costs, both of which you have to prove that it's allowable and that you actually incurred it in direct support for this contract. Notice it doesn't say this imposes a maximum administrative burden upon the contracting <laughs> parties because that's sort of what it does. Awesome. It, it probably should say that. That's so funny. Well, when we update the FAR, we're going to add that sentence <laughs> to the end of that paragraph. I'll also read uh, the TNM 
summary real quick too. 16.601 is time and materials. A time and materials contract provides for acquiring supplies or services on the basis of direct labor hours at specified fixed hourly rates and actual costs for materials. It's pretty much what we said before. Now we're talking underlying contract type here, the basis of, uh, of it, fixed price, cost reimbursable, or TNM. We're not going to get into IDIQ and base plus options and all those are all structures of a contract, but they all come back to cost type, fixed price. Right. Start and, with those two and everything else will start to make sense. Right. An indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract, IDIQ, like you said. Busted. Yeah. It will be firm fixed price or cost reimbursable or TNM, depending on the task orders or deliveries or orders. It, a, an IDIQ contract could have all those contract types in there in different in individual orders. So that's way deeper than, than we're going right now. Let's get to why we're talking about this. It's important to match the contract type to your acquisition needs. In, in general, <laughs> fixed price is how the world works. Like we said, there's really no cost reimbursable contracts outside of the government. It's just not feasible to do it that way. And as the FAR said, with fixed price, the contractor is responsible for balancing the risk of not being able to complete the job for the price they've proposed. And the government takes on the risk of um, it's fixed price. Maybe I'm going to overpay for the goods or services because the contractor's I've accepted, agreed to a price that's much greater than it's going to actually take them to accomplish the job, right? That's what competition is generally for, right? There's also the risk that that the government won't get anything or if, if, if they didn't have a high enough price, the contractor might not be able to do the job or might do a crappy job. And the same logic applies in, in the commercial environment. So one of the reasons we do fixed price projects periodically, but one of the reasons that we steer away from them for the most part is for this logic you just described is on one hand, we're going to make a whole lot of profit for doing something that ended up being easy. On the other hand, we end up losing money because it took a lot more work. The solution on the commercial side is TNM, which is like you described, like, like a lawyer is TNM. It's hours that you bill for to, to solve a problem. To call that a cost type contract with all of the stuff <laughs> that implements, like you mentioned, that's why that doesn't exist in the commercial market. It's it's just a it's a foreign concept to most folks in how business to business works or business to consumer for that matter. Yeah. If you're the government and you're doing something brand new and you can't describe exactly how to do it or what what the end result will be, because it's never been done before or you don't understand quite what it will take to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish, you, you have a couple choices. You can either award a cost type contract and carefully monitor the contractor's progress and resources used, and again, add a lot of complexity and bureaucracy, or you can break the job into smaller chunks that you can estimate well enough to do fixed price. And like you just said, Skyway sometimes does fixed price jobs, but generally consulting is time and materials, which is just breaking the job down into small chunks, hourly chunks. I don't know how many hours it will take this. I can say it's probably 10, so we'll put a ceiling on it. I won't work more than 10 hours without modifying the agreement to include more than 10 hours, but I also will only charge you for eight hours if I only work eight hours. It works to both sides' favor. That's time and materials. Another example of 
breaking a job into chunks rather than doing a cost type contract, instead of saying, build me a house and trying to describe the house and have everybody agree on the firm fixed price for the house that's going to be built six months from now, you might say, hey, first, let's agree on the design. And you might for $5,000, I don't even know that's how much it costs, but you have an architect create designs for the house and you agree on that and you use that to help you decide on the price for the whole house, right? You don't want to start with just build me a house, which is sometimes what it feels like, I think, if you're a government contractor. And yeah, and that's a great description because if it's something that's never been built before in a cost type contract, you it's going to feel like you're building the house from the ground up with a a lot and a general footprint. Whereas what you described, the architect makes the design, then somebody makes a blueprint, then a builder builds it. That That's breaking into chunks. That's a, that's a great um, analogy for it. Okay, let's link this to the acquisition and execution time zones. The contract type is discussed during the market research zone. That's where the government is trying to decide which contract type fits this acquisition. And the RFP zone, when they release the final request for proposal or solicitation of some type, that's where they have decided and locked in what contract type this acquisition will use. In the execution time zones, that's where you're dealing with the results of that, right? The performance zone. Whether it was the right decision or not. Right. The performance zone is when you're managing it. The recompete zone is your chance, the government's chance to look at it and say, well, that contract type worked, that contract type didn't work. Or on the continuum, they may have issued a cost type contract for initial development. Now they have a prototype so they can issue a firm fixed price the next time for production of that that product. That's pretty common. And then the wrap-up zone is the is the end of it. And if you have a fixed price contract, you kind of dust your hands off whoop, 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 and we're done. But if you did a cost type <laughs> contract, it could take There's years. No of hands. Right. It could take years to close it out because you're not quite sure what the contractor's actual costs were until all of that accounting and finance work is done down the road. And as we've talked about in many other contracts, including the wrap-up zone episode, it can take years to get final costs and sort all that out. To add some reality to this, one of our customers, it was eight years later, they got a bill about yep. something that happened. I mean, think of how, how, how much a business evolves in eight years. That's a long time. If you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, they're in episode number three, and the execution time zones are in episode number 84. Eight years. That brings us right to the next topic of why the government cares, right? Cost-type contracts are resource-intensive to monitor. The government has to track every element, understand every element of the contractor's costs. There's generally a lot of cost reports involved, which means somebody has to monitor whether or not the reports have been submitted and then interpret them and then make decisions based on that. And organize them and keep yeah. track of them. It also creates budget uncertainty, right? If it's a cost type contract, the job may end up costing more or, or even maybe less than you <laughs> planned. Fine. You can't just say, here's $5,000, go do this for me. Okay, you delivered it. We're done. It may cost $4,000 or $8,000. Cost type contracts also encourage things like incremental funding, which leads to more modifications and, and more tracking because the, mon the, the money's being distributed, it can feel like they're an eyedropper as opposed to saying, here's all the funds have all been obligated. Now you're having to do it and you're choosing to do it in incremental pieces. Right. In a fixed price contract, reasons. 
it, again, commercial world, the idea of incremental funding or partial funding is is really odd. You might you might pay based on milestone payments, but the contract itself isn't funded. It's the contract price. You're going to pay that. In the government world, they say, all right, here's the contract value, but you only have this much money so far. So you can't work anyway. We did whole episodes on incremental funding as well. It's more bureaucracy, more labor intensive. And this is why we have the GAO and the the DCAA, this is why we have government audit agencies, right? To to audit, to make sure that all of these costs are accumulated, tracked, and properly allocated to government contracts. This is why we have CETAs, system engineering, technical assistance folks. I guess that doesn't really describe the finance team, but they kind of fall under <laughs> CETAs yes. anyway. This is why the services they do. This is why the government has an army of contractor folks whose job it is to do finance and accounting for the government to track all of this cost nonsense. Contractors also can have an army of people to track all this because they have to justify it. When the DCA starts questioning, hey, this cost doesn't seem reasonable, there, there's a person whose job it is to be ready to answer that question. So right. yeah, it creates a lot of bureaucracy on both sides. Yeah, this cost type contracts, it's the self-licking ice cream cone thing, right? You, you need cost reporting, so... The contractor has to hire someone to do the report and then they submit it. And then you need to hire someone to analyze it and interpret it. And it just goes around and around. It's not just the cost reports. It's it's any kind of requirement like that. So self-looking ice cream cone, perpetual motion machine, whatever you want to call it, it feeds itself. Cost type contracts might even be a contributor to why many government agencies have trouble passing an audit, have trouble getting a clean audit opinion. They have to track so many moving parts. And like you said, some of their liabilities may extend years into the future on cost-type contracts because if the contractor's costs were higher than anticipated and that shows up eight years later, the government has to find a way to pay for it because they agreed they were going to pay the actual allowable incurred costs. Okay, so the government's overwhelmed potentially with all these different tasks and industry's feeling it too. Yeah, on the on the other side, it's a very different management requirement. The way you manage a cost type contract versus the way you manage a fixed price contract is very different. And I mentioned on an earlier podcast, one of our very earliest podcasts about contract types that this hit me hard as a contracts government contracts person i i knew this that this is i lived with it but when i got to the industry side i remember the day that one of our young program managers jason came to my the door of my office and he said hey i just got a new contract and it says cost plus award fee on it what's that mean and i just <laughs> i just went oh oh no because where do i start before that he he had a fixed price contract. It, w- it was a research and development kind of thing, but they paid him this much money to do some research to- and development and submit some reports on it. The next phase, they wanted him to get deeper into it and do some work, and they put it out as a cost-type contract. So from the contractor side, if it's a fixed price contract, you have a budget that you're given to work the project, and all you have to do is complete your work within your budget. If it's a cost-type contract... That becomes a different challenge, right? This is this is where, what is the incentive? On a fixed price contract, the incentive is to 
do a good job within the budget or less than the budget so you, that you can make more profit. On a cost type contract, if you do a good job and spend less to do it, you build a government less. You don't get to keep the remainder. There's no incentive for efficiency there. In fact, based on some conversations we've had in the past, there's actually an, there's an incentive to use the money because some of the government folks are actually, I don't want to say rewarded, they're tracked on things like obligations and expenditures. Well, that expenditure on a cost-type contract is use the money you have. Yeah. So it, self-looking ice cream cone is... It's this weird scenario where you have this budget that if you don't, if you come in on twenty percent under budget, somebody's going to give you, you know, the 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 one eyebrow look. Right, right, right. Cost type contracts are where a contractor diverts from being a commercial company to a government contractor. It, yeah, well said. It, it requires a different mindset, different skill set. For starters, you have to have a government com- a compliant accounting system, uh, an accounting system that's compliant with all these government requirements. In order to be awarded a cost-type contract, you have to be able to track costs in a different way that, than you would on your own. And this is one of those disqualifiers that big government contractors use can use to, in, their, in their favor, right? This is a barrier to entry. If a major government prime contractor can convince the government to do their new acquisition to award the next contract as a cost type contract they're they're shaping it away from new entrants right non traditional government contractors may not have the ability to may not qualify to be awarded a cost type contract cuz they don't have all those systems in place so and they may not have the interest <laughs> that right, e- even if, better if, if, uh, <laughs> it's like why why am i going to add all this infrastructure for 10% of, my, of our revenue. Yeah, why, why even bother going into this market? What a mess. So this, this is, again, back to the self-licking ice cream cone. There's incentive to make things more difficult for the people that have already mastered and thrive in the more difficult world. And I'm, I'm not sure that's actually a good thing for the taxpayer. No, it's just, one could make the same argument about the tax code and, and yeah, a lot of other yeah, things. Yeah, all right, before we, rabbit trail. Before, yeah, before we follow that trail, let's wrap this one up. The big two, right, is for fixed price and cost type. Yeah. And here's an example of why that's important. One of our, our customers got a letter from the government saying, it looks like this person was on vacation and they were also working on another government contract. It was a firm fixed price contract, Okay. So because this employee was on vacation and was working for another company while he was on vacation, the government thought they were double billed. On a cost type contract, which is the kind of contract that they thought this was, there was a lot of, hey, you can't do that. Yeah, because that, con- that, those costs weren't allowable and they weren't incurred in direct support of the contract, right? That's a problem. Exactly. It's a big problem, right? However, in this case, because it was a firm fixed price contract, they had somebody else do the work on on our customer's contract while he was, while this guy was on vacation, the work still got done. The government still got the work done. It was a firm fixed price contract. The government got what they paid for. No problem. Well, because there was this fear of, Hey, you're owed money. And this guy's been double billed. This is before this company, this company was a customer. They freaked out and said, Oh, government said, you owe owe $20,000. Okay. Pay the $20,000. They shouldn't have paid the $20,000 because it was a firm fixed price contract. The work got done. If it had been cost type, like we said, different conversation. 
So awareness of the big difference between a firm fixed price contract and a cost type contract is huge. And in this case, it was a mistake that you know cost a small business 20 grand. So the difference is they weren't required to deliver hours or they weren't required to account for the exact hours that were worked on this project. And I'm only going to build those exact costs to this contract. They were getting paid to deliver something in the end. And it was totally up to the contractor what costs were incurred in doing that because they weren't getting a dollar more or a dollar less from the government. Exactly. They were just getting what was delivered. And that's the way, again, most of the real world operates. And I, I, I always tend to say the real world, like the government's the fake world. The gov government <laughs> acquisition is a real world. It's just a very complicated real world. I think we already touched on cost type contracts are often criticized for being open-ended, right? The goal becomes spending all of the money and hitting that cost ceiling rather than delivering efficiently. Contractors are incentivized to increase non-value-added labor and reporting and, and, and other costs to increase their revenue and things that might have nothing to do with actually delivering the product or services that are required, but they still get to bill for those costs if the government wants that done. So they do it, right? There's, there's, there's just no incentive for efficiency or cost savings no matter how you structure the contract, we talked about all these different award fee, incentive fees. There's all kinds of arrangements that are supposed to motivate contractors to be efficient. They, they don't work. They don't work. It, if you they, don't do the work, you don't get to bill for it. You don't get paid. Contractors are going to do the work. And the interesting thing about like award fee, for example, the logic is, oh, well, they're getting an award fee. They're getting an award for doing, for meeting certain metrics. Well, to your point, the administrative cost of making sure they meet those metrics comes close to washing out the award fee. <laughs> so that's why you, when you say they don't work, I agree because they, they work on, on paper, but the reality is if you zoom out and look at the entire impact of managing the, the overall incentive structure, it's a lot of extra work. that's not value added. Yeah. And it's, it's not the contract types fault. It's not the contracting officer's fault. We're being a bit critical here. But we're, we're not pointing fingers. We're not trying to, to shame anyone. We're just, this is related to, to a gigantic issue around how the government buys things and the government acquisition system as it has evolved today. The main point is that we believe that the government should buy things using fixed price contracts as much as possible. And there's been a lot of support from the government side trying to remind acquisition offices of that over the past few years. Fixed prices contracts are greatly encouraged throughout the regulations and policies and procedures. The FARDA specified that firm fixed prices is, is the preferred method, right? I think what we're getting at is that there, it should be used in more places than it is. Yep. And some of those ideas, some of those strategies that you introduced to this idea of breaking things into smaller chunks and making them firm fixed price, as opposed to saying, go solve this giant problem. Here's a cost type contract. If the mindset were solve this small problem first, then this problem, then this problem as we build, that's an acquisition strategy that can be done for a fixed price. And we'll do things like get acquisitions done faster and help to make GovCon better, which again, it's what we're all doing here. Yep. And, and again, topic for another podcast, but the government system works against itself because you issue a small fixed price contract then the government wants you to compete the next piece of it. So you're incentivized to do one big contract as a cost type contract because you don't know what you're doing yet. 
because you don't want to have to take the time and energy to compete all the way through. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. And again, not any of the people's fault. It's a systematic thing that we can all work to improve. And wow, that's a big topic. So let's just move on for today. Let's, let's end on that giant balloon you just threw into the room. <laughs> I'll talk to you later. Yeah, I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. If you enjoy our podcast, we invite you to check out the Skyway community at skywaymember.com. The Skyway community is the essential resource for anyone at any stage of starting, running, or growing a business in the GovCon world. We speak GovCon. In fact, a lot of the topics for the podcast come from conversations we have with our members. Like this episode came from a conversation about the pros and cons between accepting a fixed price contract type versus a time and materials contract. We help them work through the benefits and the risks of that type for, for them and for their government counterparts. To learn more about membership in the Skyway community, call 877-884-5280 or check us out at skywaymember.com. We'll see you next week.